please turn to your Bibles with me as I read out the scripture passage for today. Um, it's James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Amen. This is the word of God. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> One more verse. Um, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now this is the word of God. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Hannah. All right, so yeah, we're continuing our sermon series for the book of James. We're up to chapter, uh, James chapter 5, so if I could invite warmly Pastor Dave to deliver the message and preach from James chapter 5. Thank you. No need for applause, guys. It's not a performance. Um, hey, will you join me as I pray? Uh, Father, we come humbly before you this morning. Uh, we, we need to hear from you, and we want to hear from you. So by your grace, I pray that you would enable us to hear you. Um, if our ears are a bit you know, clogged and shut, I pray that you would open them. Um, I pray that we would be able to see the Lord Jesus in this text. Uh, for he's the one who beckons us to come in repentance and faith and to follow him. So I just pray for that help and grace for all of your people this morning, myself included. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so this passage is obviously very, sp it's very spicy. <laughs> uh, as soon as you read it, all sorts of alarm bells go off. Maybe some of you have read it and... You're thinking, oh, I, I don't really want to deal with this. I don't really want to talk about this. Um, but we're going to look at it today and see what James has to say. Because uh, we're in a series in the book of James. Uh, and every week we're really examining what real faith is. And we've come to see James telling us again and again that real faith, authentic Christian faith, produces an authentic Christian life. Uh, those two things are inseparable. So if you're someone who identifies as a Christian, but the faith that you claim to have is not producing a Christian character, authentic works, then there is a kind of spiritual fraud taking place. That's confronting, it's scary to hear that. But James is a pastor and he talks to us with a pastor's heart. He wants us to get it right and not live in deception. And today James talks about an especially difficult topic, a sensitive topic, rich people, rich people. Uh, what does faith look like for the rich person? Is faith compatible with the rich person? I'm sure you've asked those questions before, right? And I want to throw up some pictures of 
characters from pop culture behind me, and I'd like you to see if you can identify them. Anyone know who that is? Y- yep, yep. Eb- Eben- I can't, can never pronounce his name. Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, you know, cranky old rich guy who hates Christmas and wants to ruin it for everyone. Okay, uh, n- next one, next next slide. Come on, you guys, you know, classic Cruella, right? DeVille, um, rich, uh, just look at her, look at what she's wearing. Next slide. Yep, yep. Mr. Burns uh, owns a large uh, nuclear power plant, extremely wealthy. Uh, that's what all three of these villains in pop culture have in common. They're very wealthy, they're very rich. Right, e- Ebenezer Scrooge hoards all of his money. Cruella Deville, she's decked out in a fur coat and in jewelry, and she's trying to get all of those puppies. Mr. Burns, classic, rich, kind of self-seeking millionaire. And these are caricatures, right? These are kind of like not real-life examples in pop culture, but even in real life, we do hear echoes of these kind of characters coming forth as we you know listen to politicians railing against the one percent if you've ever, uh, if you know of Bernie Sanders in in the US he does that a lot um, you know they rail against the rich who are often perceived kind of like this as unnecessarily lavish sometimes very dishonest sometimes as the villains as the bad guys and here's the uncomfortable part for us though this is also the way the Bible often talks about the rich as the bad guys. Some of the harshest warnings in the Bible, and no doubt some of the harshest words in this book of James, they're directed at the rich. So we need to ask ourselves some pretty tough questions this morning. We need to ask the, tes- the, the text some tough questions. We need to find out who James is talking to and what he's saying. So our outline this morning is really simple. We're going to ask three questions to the text, and then we're going to finish up with three short questions for ourselves. So three questions, and here's the first question for the text. Who are the rich? Who are the rich? Who is James talking about? So if you read from verse 1, we can see who James is talking about. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So James says some intense things about the rich here, intensely negative things. He says that misery is coming upon them. He says that their possessions they've stored away will rot away and their flesh will be eaten up like fire. Some really negative things about the rich here, right? But I want you to notice, when James talks about the rich here, he doesn't point to a certain amount of money, a certain level of income, that you own a house that's a certain amount of square meters, or you make X amount of money each year, and then you magically enter into this category of the rich, and all these horrible things are going to happen to you. And I think that makes sense if you look at the Bible, and you consider some of the examples of the rich, I want to just share with you two 
of the richest men who are uh, uh, described in Scripture. Number one, Abraham, um, outrageously wealthy. He had a whole uh, retinue of servants, huge family. He was given great wealth and possessions from Pharaoh. And just based on material possessions alone, this dude was overflowing with, with wealth. He was so rich. But he's also described as a man who was so intimate with God, he was called a friend of God. And if you remember back in chapter 2, as James talks about faith, what is genuine faith? He points to Abraham, who went so far as to put his son on the altar as an example, a prime example of faith. Second example, Job. Unbelievably wealthy, extensive resources, huge family as well. But he loses everything in a test of faith. And at the end of that test, he's given even more. He loses his family, but is given even more in terms of material possessions. He's richer than he was before. And we're going to see next week in James chapter 5, he points to, to, to Job as the example of steadfastness in God. So in terms of monetary amount, two of the richest men in the Bible are given by James as godly examples. So when James says the rich, he can't be talking about a certain amount of money. Like if you have a million dollars, you're rich and these horrible things are going to happen to you. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So when James says you rich, he's not talking about a certain amount of money. You can see here clearly he's pointing to something deeper. People who have profited from defrauding other people, people who have profited from oppressing others and are continuing to live in that way. When James talks about the rich, he's not talking about an amount. He's, talk, he's talking about the wicked rich. If James was just talking about a certain amount, then you could just go home today, count up your assets, and maybe start putting some money in different places, start giving some money to charities, and you could feel better, right? Okay, God, how much do I have to give? Uh, if I give under this amount, will I be okay? It's not simply a matter of how much wealth you have. It's actually all about what your wealth is doing to you. So what is your wealth doing to you? That's a question for you to ponder this morning. Is it making you proud that you're better than other people? Does it make you willing to oppress other people? Does it give you a deep security, but not just a deep security, but a self-assurance? You don't need anyone or anything else because you have riches, you have wealth. These are the wicked rich that James is talking about this morning. So that's the first question. Who are the rich? The wicked rich. Those who are proud. Those who are self-secure. Those who are willing to oppress other people. Second question is this. What's coming upon the rich? We just read it. Verse 1. Miseries are coming upon you. Verse 3. Your flesh will be eaten like fire. Verse 5. Your heart has been fattened for a day of slaughter. It's not, it's not a good picture. What's coming upon the rich? 
miseries, fire, and slaughter. Yay, <laughs> this is not good. Uh, it's just a fact of the world, isn't it? If you really think about it. I think it always will be that, that riches help you get things. Right? They help you buy things. They help open doors for you, which otherwise would be shut if you did not have those riches. Sometimes they enable you to help other people greatly. But James' simple point here is that your riches will not help you on the day of judgment. On the day when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, riches will be of no use to you. How poor you are won't keep you out of God's kingdom, but also how rich you are will do nothing to get you in to God's kingdom. You know, I once heard someone jokingly say that money can't buy you happiness, but it can help you look for it in more interesting places. Think about it. Money can't buy you happiness, but it can help you look for it in more interesting places. And I think that's true. That's the way that money works. And you, if you have enough money, you can probably never run out of places to look. But James's point is this. When it comes to eternal happiness, eternal dwellings, those riches have no value. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this joke before uh, about a man who comes up to the pearly gates of heaven and Peter is standing there at the gates. He meets him there. And this man is lugging behind him a giant heavy sack of stuff. And Peter says, hey, what's in the bag? And he opens it up. And he says, well, this is all of my gold bars that I've accumulated over my life. And Peter says, you brought pavement? Think about it. That's what your riches will be in heaven. Pavement. Look at verse 2. Look at what happens to the riches. They rot. Their garments are eaten by moth. There's corrosion. He's telling in vivid language that it won't last and you can't take it with you. And James says to live with a self-assurance in your riches, if you're even willing to step on other people to maintain your wealth or to get more wealth, it's to be like a pig which fattens itself until it's slaughtered. That's what it says in verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have made yourself plump and fat in order that you may be ripe for slaughter in God's judgment. I told you that this was some of the harshest language in James, and you can see that, right? But that's what's coming upon the rich. So we've answered who the rich are. We've answered what's coming upon them. Third question, what did the rich do to deserve such judgment? Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, hey, that's unfair. They didn't do anything that bad. You know, they, they, they earned that money. Maybe they were not completely honest, but who is these days? What did the rich do to deserve such judgment? That's the third question we're asking our text. And remember, it's not automatically, if you're rich, you're going to be fattened for the day of slaughter. Look at Abraham and Job. So what's the line? What do they do, these rich that James talks about, for the Lord to give such a harsh warning to them? Three things. Uh, firstly, we see the sin of theft. It's a breaking of the eighth commandment. So we see that they cheat the people under them of their wages. You know, it's all too easy to get 
people to do the work first for you and then think of a reason not to pay them. You know, change the terms. The work that you did was actually not very satisfactory. You didn't do enough work. No, actually, you're, you're, you're quite lazy and I refuse to pay you. This is what was happening. So, firstly, the sin of theft. Secondly, this, uh, the sin of bearing false witness. That's a breaking of the ninth commandment. So, the rich person lies and says, no, you didn't show up on time. Um, someone else did the work for you. They lie against the poor man. And James says, by doing so, they've condemned and murdered him. That's what the rich are doing. And finally, we see in all of this, probably the worst sin of all. And that's the sin of idolatry. And that's a breaking of the second commandment. See, the rich person cannot be challenged by anyone. If you have enough money and you're secure in your money, you can't be challenged by anyone. If someone does challenge you, your response is, I've got money. At the end of the day, what are you going to do about it? I'll cut you out of my life. I'll stop you in your tracks. I'll make sure that you fail. Like that's some of the worst kind of, that's the extreme end, that's aggressive, but really at the end of the day, what are you going to do about it? That's the attitude of this rich person. Because riches are their ultimate treasure. Life is foundational upon riches and you have enough of it. So, so really at the end of the day, what are you going to do about it? The theme of James is genuine faith. What's genuine faith? Remember, it's a faith that shows in your works. Don't be hearers only, James says, but be doers. And these rich are the people whose lives demonstrate that their trust never really has been in God. I'm sure James is addressing people who are part of the church here. This letter is written to the church. He says, come now, you rich. He's not hoping this letter will be circulated to people outside the church. He's talking to people in the church who, whose lives demonstrate that their trust is not really in God, that their trust is actually in their resources, that it's in themselves. And that's ultimately a dead faith. You know, everything seems to go their way in life because they always have that amount that can get them out of a jam. They always have a few extra zeros to pay for what they really need they really need help, they can get it for themselves, for their family. They're trusting in themselves and not God. James says this is what the rich do, these rich, to deserve such judgment from God. So how do we apply this? Well, three quick questions for us. Number one, are any of us this kind of rich person? Uh, and I want to be careful here to make sure that I'm going to say what the Bible says, no more and no less. You know, sometimes a preacher will stand up before the church and, and take this kind of passage and almost prophetically try to say, you know, if you have two cars, you're in danger, right? If you have a big house, you're in danger. That's not what this text says. On the contrary, a preacher can often soften what the text says in order to make it apply to everyone, they can soften the real warning and say, no, this applies to none of us. This is just those, you know, rich scam artists, like if you know Bernie, uh, Bernie Madoff, guys who run Ponzi schemes, the Ebenezer Scrooges, the 
the Cruella de Vils of the world. You can read this text like that. So we have to ask ourselves a very hard question. Does this description of the rich fit me? Not simply a dollar amount, but is it possible that I have actually been dishonest and maybe even gone so far as to cheat someone out of money, out of an agreed-upon wage? Is it possible that I've gone into where I am today by dishonest means? And maybe you've become someone who's convinced yourself that because everyone around you in your industry, in your field, is doing the same thing, that is normal, that there's nothing wrong. And I think in James's time, the rich probably convinced themselves of the same thing, that they had a good reason for what they did. Maybe they told themselves, it's all to give my children a better life, or it's all to provide for my spouse, or, you know, I deserve this, I've worked so hard to get to where I am, or that, you know, the poor, they, they deserve what they have. The, those guys are lazy. They, don't, they can't pick up their own life. And for whatever reason, they've convinced themselves that this is okay, that this is ordinary, that it's acceptable. And that's the danger because God says clearly that this kind of rich person, the one who is dishonest, the one who is proud and oppresses the poor, is going to hell. It's a very, very sobering question to ask ourselves. And if that is you, I would urge you to think strongly about what it would mean to repent, like genuinely repent and have faith in the forgiveness and grace of God in Jesus. But here's a second question for us. Do we put profit over people and principles? Do we put profit over people and principles? We might, you know, conclude this morning, well, okay, praise God. I don't think I'm guilty of this kind of flagrant sin. I'm not out there defrauding people, cheating them. But it's still worth examining our hearts to see where our priorities really lie. You know, when I think of priorities in work and business, I think of three things. You have principles, you have people, and you have profits. And it's not wrong to seek profits. We live in a capitalist society. It's not wrong to make money. You're not always supposed to be living on the red line. But when we make the pursuit of profits in whatever line of work we're in, the priority over people, over our principles as disciples of Jesus, then that's a short Stones throw away from becoming like this rich person. It's not a comic book event or a comic book villain arc. You start by valuing profit over the value of people and then your principles as disciples of Jesus. And it doesn't happen overnight, but over time, you're so single-minded in your purpose of getting more you want more. You want more profit for personal comfort, to make it better for your family, to be personally satisfied more, more, more until you can become kind of like a vault. You guys know what a vault is, right? Like where you store that money. A vault just hoards, right? You just build a big money vault for Scrooge McDuck to swim around in. 
And yet James calls for us to be a vessel, meaning it flows through you to others. It flows through you to help the poor, through you to help the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God belongs to the suffering, the downtrodden, the meek, to bless the church. For some reason, God has chosen the church to be the display of his glory in this world. A group of, you know, somewhat average, growing, maturing, broken people. A group of sinners and saints. So the second question is, do you put profit over people and principles? Are you a vault or are you a vessel? And the final question is this. Are we trusting in our riches? Really simple. Are we trusting in our riches? We all want security. I want security. I want to be financially secure. I'm sure you guys want that too. That's natural. We all want to know that things are going to be okay. Right? That's good. Uh, you may have heard, an, heard of a book written by a famous pastor many years ago called Your Best Life Now. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, it's called Your Best Life Now. People loved it. Sold hundreds and thousands of copies. Caused his ministry to boom. It's all about how Christianity can give you the life that you've always dreamed of. And the message of the Bible is actually your best life later. It's not your best life now. It's your best life later. In Luke 12, uh, Jesus tells a parable. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And in it, a rich fool builds a barn and he builds it bigger and bigger because he thinks, you've made it. Your life is secure. And as long as I keep adding to this barn, I'll be okay. And of all the things that Jesus could say about this man, he calls him a fool. Why? Because he's not wise. He's not smart. He thinks that the accumulation of these bigger barns gives him the security that is heart craves for but it won't if you think that you're going to get your best life now then you're a fool the way of the wise person is not to think that you're going to get your best life now but that you're going to get it later and that it's guaranteed you know, the more I go through life, I'm in my mid-30s now, the more I realize how not secure everything is. Um, first and foremost, my own body. Every year something goes wrong and something's hurting and aching. Um, and then I, you know, I, I speak to friends who have been in their industry for, for many, many years and they've suddenly been made redundant or something's happened and they're, they're out of a job. You don't get your best life now, but someday you will. Do you know that the Bible says someday you'll be strong and healthy forever? The Bible says someday you'll be happy forever. Not because of anything you've done, but because the Lord Jesus himself, who rose from the dead, he's preparing a place for you right now in glory. 
Friends, if you just hear the word without doing it, it means you have a dead faith. That's what James has been confronting us with. There needs to be something different in the way that you see your wealth. And I say that because I think our community has some wealthy people. Conducting business with honesty, integrity, I think that is very important. That's kind of a given. But what about profit? Do you put profit um, over principles and people? Over your principles as a disciple of Jesus and over people who are in need? There ought to be something different about that if you're a vault and you're not a vessel. And ultimately, are you trusting in your riches? Are you trusting in the Lord? You can't serve two masters. These are some tough questions for us, and I would really urge you to work them out, to answer them, not on your own, but before God. And I think that there can be something different about the way in which we use our wealth, in which we use our resources. I think it would be so beautiful to to let God's resources flow through us to be a blessing to others as we look forward to our best life later. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for this text in James 5. It's pretty challenging um, because, to be frank, um, I know many of us, myself included, uh, we find a lot of security in in wealth, uh, in our riches. And even though we know it's not going to last, I think just in the present, it's, it's really hard to detach ourselves from being close-fisted, from being those who trust in what we've accumulated. And so, God, I ask for your help. I ask for your grace. Uh, in your kindness, will you help us to disconnect and de- to detach ourselves from making our riches an idol? Lord, uh, show us the freedom that comes from trusting in you with our whole lives including everything that we have. Show us the joy and the peace, the satisfaction that comes from living life in your kingdom. Help us, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.